Let's invite the Lord into our midst. Heavenly Father, we beseech Thee that in this evening hour, in these few moments, we will be together at this last service of Eastern Camp 2018, that through Thy power, Thou mightest break down the facades of make-believe that cloud our eyes from seeing truth. We pray, Heavenly Father, that Thou mightest use Thy Word that is sharper than any two-edged sword to lay open our hearts that we might allow Thee to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear ones, would you turn with me to the Gospel according to St. Mark? Chapter 10, I'd like to begin reading with verse 17. The Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. Dear ones, this, there are three times in the Gospels that this account is, is written and I chose, it's, it's, it's written if you want to look at it at some time, Matthew 19, Luke 18, but I chose Mark specifically for the way, God, the way Jesus is described in this, in the way the account is described. This is actually follows after the children came to Jesus and his disciples tried to keep them away. And Jesus said, no, suffer the children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom. So Jesus has this wonderful experience with the children. And the disciples are seeing how he's interacting with the children. And after that event, Jesus begins to leave. And a young man comes and falls on his knees before Jesus. And says, Master, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in all of his wisdom and all-knowing, identifies commandments that he knew this young man kept. And the young man said, all those have I kept from my youth up. And then Jesus said, Sell everything that you have 
Come, follow me. And he went away sorrowful, dear ones. We don't ever read that this young man ever came back to the presence of Jesus. This is the 71st Friday night sermon at Eastern Camp. 70 years before me, brothers have come on a Friday night, the end of a week, and laid their hearts wide open before multitudes of people, beginning first in Illinois. And now we find ourselves in Virginia. How many young men and women have left this night in the previous years never ever to come back? There's a line that is drawn by rejecting the Lord where the call of his spirit is lost. As you hurry along with the pleasure-mad throng, have you counted? Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost if your soul should be lost, though you gain the whole world for your own? Even now it may be that the line you have crossed, have you counted? Have you counted the cost? You may barter your hope of eternity's morn for a moment of joy at the most. For the glitter of sin and the things you will win, have you counted? My friend outside of Christ, have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost of rejecting God again? All of our actions have costs. It was a cold winter. Very cold, much colder than many winters before. And even though as the spring had turned from winter to spring and the sun would rise higher in the northern hemisphere, it just seemed that the winter didn't want to give way to spring. She had been launched 10 months earlier and her sea trials were quite outstanding. She was an amazing vessel, the second of three Olympic-class vessels to be purchased by her owner that year. She was the handiwork of a 39-year-old naval architect. She was magnificent. She was just under 900 feet in length, her beam, her width, 92 feet, 6 inches. She would draft 34 feet, 7 inches, which meant she could get into water 40 feet deep. She had all the latest of safety features. In fact, there were 16 watertight compartments in her hull that could be closed remotely from the helm of the ship. She was cruising at about 21 nautical miles an hour, which is about 24 miles per hour. Not her maximum speed. Her maximum speed would have been 25 knots. She was a sight to behold as she slid through the water and her four stacks rode one after another, billowing black smoke into the night. Almost a ghostly image as she cruised through. At 11.40 p.m., there's a collision. Her starboard hull just beyond the bow had buckled and water began filling. 
Five of the 16 watertight compartments were filled. The radioman, using the Marconi system, broadcast throughout the North Atlantic the distress call, and the distress call was basically said this, come quick, danger. Come quick, danger. The last call that was heard from the Marconi operators simply said this, come quick, engine room nearly full. At 2.20 a.m., April 15th, 1912, the RMS Titanic broke into pieces and foundered in 1,200 feet of water off the coast of Newfoundland. She was unsinkable. This vessel was unsinkable. This vessel was designed to handle anything that the world could throw at it. What went wrong? What went wrong with a ship that magnificent? All the sea trials were fine. Everything was going well. This was her maiden voyage. What went wrong? People didn't count the cost. And let me give you a few things, a few details of what happened. There were six warnings. Six different ships sent the captain of the Titanic a warning icebergs in the area. 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 And his thought was, it doesn't matter. She is unsinkable. I am captaining the finest ship ever built. Other naval architects that have studied the wreckage believe that if they would have hit the iceberg head on, she would have been fine. But they didn't. There was something else unique about the Titanic. The Titanic had a new steering system that made it nimble, that made it able to turn on a dime. When the, when the, the watchman finally spotted the, the iceberg moments before 11.40 p.m., the helmsman turned the boat the wrong way. She was designed to be able to have four of her 16 compartments flooded and still sail fine. Five flooded. They didn't count the cost of training. The helmsman reacted wrong first, then made a corrective maneuver just in time to have the port side, the starboard side of the hull strike the, the, the iceberg. It gets worse, dear ones. They were on a busy schedule to finish the ship. They couldn't find the rivets that they needed, so they bought substandard rivets that had too much slag in the material, which made the rivets brittle. They didn't count the cost of a shortcut. They didn't count the cost of, of taking a cheap excuse, a cheap way out. It gets worse. They left Southampton in a hurry and didn't have enough binoculars for the men that would stand watch. 
Why do you need binoculars? What's going to happen? We're on an unsinkable ship. It gets worse. The RMS Titanic was designed with 16 davits. A davit is like a little crane. Eight on her port side, eight on her starboard side. Each davit was there to launch four lifeboats, 48 in total. They left Southampton with 20. Not enough for the passengers and crew of the RMS Titanic. She's unsinkable. You won't believe the reason they only had 20. It cluttered the decks. Having more than 20 lifeboats on the RMS Titanic would have made her look less spectacular. There wouldn't have been enough room for dancing on the decks. There were 700 survivors of the Titanic. 1,500 souls went to their watery graves in water that was 28 degrees Fahrenheit. You go into shock in two minutes. You're dead in anywhere between 15 and 45. Why? Because they didn't count the cost, dear ones. Do we understand what that means? Do we understand the words of this timeless hymn? Have you counted the cost? Now, my friends outside of Christ, I'm going to give you a break for about maybe 10 minutes. My brothers and my sisters, are we counting the cost? This sign says, and God said, be ye holy. He didn't say, you know, it might be a good idea if you could be a little bit holy. He didn't say when it's convenient on Sunday morning, I would really appreciate it if you would be holy. No, he said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Are we, dear ones? Are we counting the cost? And dear ones, I'm not picking on you. As I read these scriptures, and I got a couple more that I'm going to read, these spoke to me. Am I counting the cost? As a 57-year-old child of God, serving God for 39 years, Am I counting the cost on a daily basis of the things in my life that get in the way of me being holy and me serving God? What about, oh, my job? I need my job. No, I need a job. My brother, my sister, have we chosen a career that doesn't allow us to be ministers of the truth everywhere we go? can't move where I think the Lord wants me to go because it's my job. I need my job. Got to work those extra hours. Need just a little bit more. I had the privilege of listening to Brother Peter's sermon that Brother Peter Root that, 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 that preached his sermon in Kitchener and I remember the point and, and, and what a gifted brother and I'm so thankful that I've had the privilege of, of now seeing two of his sermons. But if I, if I remember it correctly, he asked everybody there to, to look at him and to smile. And he said, how much have you brought out of Babylon with you? 
My brother, my sister, how much have we taken of Babylon with us? I think there's a very fine line between taking a little bit of Babylon and falling prey to the sin of Achan. What's in our lives that doesn't need to be there? What do we need to have the Lord surgically removed through the power of the Spirit from our lives that's, de- that's destroying our ability to be holy, to walk in holiness, to walk in the Spirit? Things of this earth just get in the way. And again, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me first. Am I truly walking in the Spirit? Am I truly striving to be holy, through, to live a sanctified life? Or, are there thi- or am I like those that launched the Titanic out of Southampton that day that said, you know what, I really don't need all those lifeboats because it's unsinkable. Parents, have you counted the cost of not requiring that your homes be a place where Jesus Christ is and his spirit is preeminent? Are there other things that get in the way? Are you so busy trying to be your children's friend that you won't be a parent? Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost that it could be that they will be eternally lost? Where are they going? And with whom do they go there? Oh, but you don't understand, Brother David. My my son, my daughter, they need a great education. If they don't have an education, they won't be able to be successful in life. To be honest with you, my dear brons, I don't care if they're successful in life. I want them to be successful in death, not life. You can be successful in life and be eternally damned. Is that what we want for our children? So what universities are we sending them to? If you wonder what it's like, listen to last year's forum that I did with the teens. Oh, not because I had anything smart to say, but I read the testimonies of two sisters. Thankfully, sisters in the Lord that the Lord protected and preserved. Parents, you would be shocked. And I haven't even gotten into the half-truths and the full lies that they're told by professors. Are your children coming home at night when they go away to school? It doesn't matter where their degree's from. They can be successful in life and eternally damned. You decide, you count the cost. Now let's get to church. Brothers, sisters, have we counted the cost of preserving the truth? Have we counted the cost of preserving the truth? You see, there's an easier way. Our church has 18 points of our statement of faith. Some think that's too many. Really? I don't. They are all based on the Word of God. They can all be traced to the first, second, and third century church. People, you know, people are amazed that Eastern Camp has been around for 71 years. That's because for 71 years there have been brothers and sisters that believed that what we had was the whole truth, nothing but the truth. 
My, 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 my brothers and sisters, are you willing to give that away? Are you willing? Have you counted the cost of making an easier road and accepting cheap grace? Because God didn't say maybe be holy. He said be ye holy. And if we don't come with the complete truth, how can we ever expect our young people to live it? If we, get, we, we are sacrificing our children's future on the altar of comfort and ease, just like Brother Tom had on Wednesday night when he had it, I almost brought the chair and I thought, no, I, that's Tom's chair. I'm not going to take Tom's chair. But think about it, dear ones. Comfortable Christianity, excuse me, was the cross comfortable? Have we counted the cost of watering it down? Now, my friends outside of Christ, you're sorry. It's your turn now. What are you willing to trade for your soul? What's it worth to you? Let me read you the second verse of that song again. You may barter your hope of eternity's morn for a moment of joy at the most, for the glitter of sin and the things you will win. Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? How many young men and women over the last 70 years have left Eastern camp and said, tomorrow I'll come? Tomorrow. You know, I don't want to counsel at camp. Everybody counsels at camp, so I'll just do it when I get home. We don't ever read that this young man came back. He had crossed the line. In Acts, chapter 26, this is a part where, where the Apostle Paul is on trial, or is, has a hearing, you might call it, with, with Agrippa and Festus. Festus says, Paul, you're crazy. And Paul says this. It's interesting, answering Festus's thing that, Paul, you're kind of crazy. For the king knoweth of these things, King Agrippa. For by whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in, in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. We don't ever read the King Agrippa came to Christ. Almost. Songwriter said, almost but lost. What are you willing to give? Have you counted the cost? It's a price you cannot afford to pay. I don't know if you caught it in Tom's story. Some of you may have. Do you remember at the beginning of the story when Tom taught, when, the, when, when Everett was, was walking still, and he gave how many miles it was to the five-star hotel? It was about a third of a mile shy of 666 miles. Huh, that's interesting. 
at mile 666 on that broad road that leads to all these wonderful things is the five-star hotel that doesn't charge you one dime. You don't have to pay a penny. In fact, you get all kinds of, of gifts, so to speak, on the journey to the five-star hotel that's located at mile micro 666. But the reality of that hotel is you can check out anytime, but you can never leave. You can never leave. And you will be in that five-star hotel that, by the way, the men sang about that. It's no five-star hotel. You're tormented in the flame forever. And the rich man said, just could you send somebody to just dip their finger in the water and cool my tongue? Stay on the road if you'd like. Just, it's a broad road. You got, you got lots of, com you know, There was a young man once in, the, in Syracuse. And he didn't say this to me. He said it to my brother. He said, I might be going to hell, but a lot of my family's going to be going with me. Something along those lines. Is that not a ludicrous thought? Yeah, I might be going to hell, but I don't have a lot of company. Well, wow, I know misery loves company, but that's just foolishness. He wasn't counting the cost. He was gaining the whole world. And losing his very soul. My young person, don't be so foolish. Don't be like, I wish it was not true. Don't be like the multitudes that over the last 70 years on a Friday night went home to never come to the Lord. They left Southampton in an amazing vessel with all the opulence that the world could offer. Beautiful staircases that led to different levels of decks where orchestras played, where sumptuous food was served. They lived the good life until she broke apart and sank at 2.20 a.m. How many, how many warnings of icebergs, my dear ones, are you ignoring? How many of you have decided that it's more important to look good than be good? So I'd like to address my young friend outside of Christ that wants to look like a member. Perhaps if you're a young woman, you've got a wonderful head covering on your head. I appreciate that. What's in your heart? I'm not dismissing the need for the head covering. That's biblical. But you know, you can put a pretty picture around filthy rags. It's still filthy rags. And that's what your heart's like. Or a young man, you, you know, you, you make sure that, that you come to church with a nice suit. And maybe you make sure you have a white shirt. Because that makes you look more holy. And I'm not picking on white shirts. Actually, if I would have had a short sleeve white shirt, I wouldn't be here with long sleeves this morning, but I don't. I didn't have one at home. But you make it look really good on the outside, but on the inside, you don't have a lifeboat. 
you don't even know when to close the hatches to keep the bulkheads from flooding. You're this close from a shipwreck and you don't even know it. Don't be so foolish. You're not fooling anyone. You see, God said, be holy, not do holy. We talked about it in our class. We are human beings, not human doings. If we are human beings and we are being what God wants us to be, the doing will come. But you know, the doing doesn't come from you. The doing comes from him. Let me, let me read another scripture for you quickly because I know my time is far spent. And I'm sure that the inspiration time will be much more enjoyable. Philippians chapter 2. If I can remember that Philippians comes after Ephesians. Verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now I know some of you are saying, there he goes, talking about works again. All he does is talk about, well, I'm not talking about it. Paul is. But what does he mean? He's writing this to believers. And he's saying that you need, he says, I know you've been obedient when I'm around. I want you to be obedient when I'm not around. And I want you to live your Christian life. I want you to listen to, well, Peter hadn't written it yet, but it was written in Leviticus. Be holy, for I am holy. And the fear and trembling part means to, to be totally aware and to distrust your own ability to do it. My friend outside of Christ, that's why it's not working, because you're trying. It's not you, it's him. Brother Eric told us that on Sunday night. It's not about us. It's about him. And even when Jesus is, in, when, when the Apostle Paul is talking about what Jesus did for us, it's so that he died and he rose again and the Spirit could come into our lives and change us. Lesson to verse 13. He said, For it is God which worketh in you both to do of his good will and pleasure. It's not you. And that's the beauty, my friend outside of Christ. That is the beauty about Christian life. It's not me. Some would say, I can't come to the Lord because I'm not that good. You're right, you're not. Neither am I. I can't be faithful. I'm not strong enough. You're right, you can't. Neither can I. But he can. The Apostle Paul also said, I believe it was to the church in Thessalonica, he that hath begun this good work in you will also finish it. Something like that. I should have looked it up, but I didn't because I just thought of it. Look it up. That's your homework. But here in Philippians, Paul is saying, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, dear ones, if we're going to be honest and we're going to count the cost, it costs a lot. And the price was paid. It costs us Nothing. You see, the hymn writer wasn't talking about a cost that we would have to pay for salvation. The hymn writer was talking about the cost we would pay if we didn't accept this amazing gift of salvation. You see, my friend outside of Christ, what is so beautiful about this banner is the path to being able to do it.
And that path is Jesus. Jesus, the most amazing friend you will ever have. Imagine God. Because he's part of God. Part of the Godhead. Imagine God, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son getting together and saying, how, how do we fix this? How do, we, how do we reunite creation? And Jesus says, I'll go. I'll go. I'll be the sacrifice. I'll pay the price. I will allow myself to be hung on a tree. I will allow myself to take every sin upon me. I will allow myself to be separated from the Father so that I can be a Savior that waits outside the door of every sinner's heart and knocks to be admitted. May the Lord add his blessing to this word. Father, words fail us to express our thanks and our praise to thee for a week well spent at thy feet. And Lord, as we close this week and feel thy spirit moving in this place, we, no matter what stage of life we're in, we see our lives at one point or another on a collision course. And the question we've been asking this evening, Lord, is who's steering the ship? And have we prepared it for all that might come before us? Lord, pray for each one, saved and unsaved, Lord, no matter where we stand before thee, Lord, that our hearts would have been shaken in this day, that we would have been taken out and, and spilled before thee, Lord, to empty that vessel where none, nothing good was in there anyway, Lord, so that we could be filled by thee and be made meat for the Master's use. Lord, we pray that as we would go from this place with 71 camps behind us, Lord, if it's your will, pray that it be 71 more in front of us. But if there's not, pray, Father, that the lessons and the teachings and the admonition upon each of our hearts that we found in this week and felt in this week would leave an impression that would make us useful, that would make us profitable, that would make us holy in thy eyes, Lord, as we press toward the mark that's been laid before us. Bless us as we continue on this night, Lord, and, and speak to us as we have need for each of our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.